Christmas is going to be a little different this year, um, and so perhaps it's a good year for us to rediscover uh, Christmas, given our circumstances. Although I do think we need the hope of Christmas, and so we would love to see you next week as we begin this new and exciting series. Uh, but today, we've come to the end of our journey through First and Second Kings, and I think it is fair to say that there are moments in our lives that form us. There's moments often occur in childhood, whether it's a word of affirmation from a parent, uh, success on a school project, a first relationship, a friendship. But later in life, during adulthood, there are moments that reform us. And that moment occurred for me and my family last November when we received news that Amanda was pregnant with our second child, our son. We were overjoyed by the news. It was a long time coming, and we certainly believed that God had answered our prayers. Then at our 12-week ultrasound, the doctors started to raise concerns about genetic anomalies, and at first we didn't want to believe that. We wondered, how could that happen? Well, as the weeks and months went by, more ultrasounds seemed to indicate this was the case, and it was a dark time for us, and we were longing for some light. Our son was born unexpectedly on June 5th, 2020. Multiple genetic scans did not bring a diagnosis until we met with a doctor from the Children's Hospital at Philadelphia who confirmed that our son met the clinical criteria for something called diamond black fan anemia, a condition that affects the bone marrow where it fails to produce the adequate amount of red blood cells and is often associated with several skeletal anomalies. As I researched the condition, I found that it's most likely a new mutation on the genetic line, and the chances of developing this condition are five in one million. Five in, which is, as rare conditions go, that's pretty rare. So there's moments that form you, and there's moments that reform you. And so the birth of our son has certainly been a radical reformation for us, and I have to say myself in particular. Because I would tell you I've always trusted God, but then there's moments and circumstances that bring the necessity for you to really trust God. His birth has been a catalyst for reforming our hearts and our dependence on our great God. Now, at the same time, we know that our son uh, has come to us. He's a gift. God has a plan for him, and we wanted to choose a name for this young man who would stand out in his generation to make a difference in a dark world for the gospel and for his Savior. And so we chose the name Josiah, and so you can see him, pictures up here. Named after the last great king of Judah in 2 Kings 22 and 23, who through the power of the Holy Spirit brought great reform to his people and turned their hearts back to the true God. And so today we close out our series by looking at his story. So our son Josiah is a five in a million baby. Meeting him brought light into our darkness. And his name is fitting because King Josiah was a five in a million kind of king. He was a shining light during a dark season of Judah's history. And I got to tell you, the fact that Josiah even followed the Lord is nothing short of a miracle. Let me give you some background on King Josiah. After Hezekiah, whom Pastor Dave spoke about last week, uh, died... His son, a guy named Manasseh, took the throne of the southern kingdom of Judah, 
And if you'll remember, King Hezekiah was a good king who followed the Lord, but that certainly was not the case with his son. We read this in 2 Kings 21. It says, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years, long time, in Jerusalem, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. So Manasseh reverts every good that Hezekiah does. It was, it was kind of like, uh, you know, he issued a bunch of bad executive orders to undo all the good executive orders that the last president had done. He was evil. And for 55 long years, he terrorized Judah and angered Yahweh God against the nation. He built altars. He worshiped these false gods. He even sacrificed his own son as an offering to these false gods. He, he allowed fortune towers into the land. Much blood was spilt during the reign of King Manasseh. He was denounced by the prophets. And so this was a dark, dark time in the, time, in the life of the kingdom of Judah. Now, when Manasseh died, his son Amon took the throne at the ripe age of 22, but he only ruled for two years because he was assassinated by a bunch of his servants. And so there was turmoil and power struggles in the land of Judah again, and we're told that the people of Judah rose up, struck down these conspirators, and placed Josiah, the son of Amon, on the throne of Judah. Now, maybe you can see why it was such a miracle that Josiah becomes such a righteous king and stands out in his generation. His grandfather was crazy evil Manasseh, the guy who's killing his grandkids or his kids. Uh, Josiah's dad was killed in a coup, and so he's surrounded by evil and dysfunction. And yet, we read this about Josiah in 2 Kings 22. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David, his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. In other words, Josiah was a five in a million kind of king. He was a new mutation in a family line that had gone off the deep end. God saved him, captured his heart, brought him out of dysfunction, and completely used him to transform society, as we'll see. That's why we named our son Josiah. And church, I believe today that we need to be a five in a million kind of people. We are called to be light in a dark world. And we're living in a moment of history that's not so different than Josiah's time, right? Do you feel like society is hostile towards your faith? Do you feel like religious liberty is in jeopardy? Do you feel like people around you are worshiping false idols. It's in a moment like that that Josiah rises to power and does what is right in the eyes of the Lord, will we? What we need today, and what I'm going to suggest, is a radical reformation of our faith that will shine light into a dark land. So Josiah's story again is in 2 Kings 22 and 23, and it provides a blueprint for revival. So the question is, how does revival come? Well, first, First, it happens to us personally. It happens when our hearts are rekindled. Second, it happens ecclesiologically, meaning the church must be revived. And then finally, when those things happen, it moves outward and society will be reformed. But it all starts with that radical reformation of our hearts. Will we be a five in a million kind of people? 
Let's pray as we start. Heavenly Father, I, I come before you and I thank you for your people that are here today. I thank you for those that are watching at home. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come, that you would speak to us during the reading of your word today, Lord God, that you would move us to action, Lord, that our hearts would be changed and transformed and we would be that five in a million kind of people that stand out in a generation, even when it's hard, Lord God, even when it's dark. May we be light as you call us to be. So be with us as we look at, at your word. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, since we're talking about light and darkness today, I want to give you an image to hold on to, the image of a flashlight. Now, you may have noticed that a couple weeks ago, daylight savings time kicked in, and so it's like 4.30 and it's starting to get dark now, which is always weird for me this time of year. But um, uh, when I go outside my house at 5 o'clock and it's dark and I'm trying to take the trash out or go down to the mailbox and get the, the mail that's been sent to me, I got tired of thinking that a raccoon was going to jump up behind me and kill me. And so I needed to get a flashlight so I could see what was going on. And I found these really cool flashlights on Amazon for 15 bucks. And uh, they're cool because they have a zoom lens on them. So it can zoom out and be like really laser focused like that. And then you can make it wider and wider and wider. And this flashlight actually gives us the pathway to revival because revival starts by a flashlight shining laser focused on our hearts. Laser focused on our heart. And that's how it began with King Josiah. Now, we're not privy to all the intimate details of his story, but we do know that he became king at the age of eight, all right? Now, just imagine that, right? Some of you have eight-year-olds. Picture your eight-year-old ruling a nation, right? Some of you say that's not even possible, and yet they rule our house. I don't even know how that goes. <laughs> well, God did something in this little boy's heart because we're told in a parallel passage in 2 Chronicles 34, we're told this about Josiah. It says, for in the eighth year of his reign, he was yet a boy, and he began to seek the Lord God, the God of David with his father. Now, some of you out there are mathematicians, and you can do the math here, right? If he became king at age eight, the eighth year of his reign, he's 16 years old. Now, how many 16-year-olds today are seeking God with all their heart like David, the guy who was the man after God's own heart? And if you're a teenager listening today, I would say, let Josiah's story be a challenge to you. It's possible. Now you say, well, hold on a second. This is an ancient story. It doesn't apply to me, right? You don't know the pressures I'm facing at school and with my friends. Well, teens, I got to tell you that Josiah faced many of the same pressures that you faced. I mean, he's ruling the nation. There's evil all around him, right? Remember what he grew up in. It was a miracle that he sought the Lord, and so can you. Seek God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Be a five-in-a-million kind of teenager, because revival starts as Josiah's heart was rekindled as a teenager, and that led to some serious reform when he rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem in his 20s. Why does he do that? Well, again, during Manasseh's 55-year reign, he desecrated the worship of the true God, and so the temple in Jerusalem was damaged, kind of like the central worship place in Jerusalem, damaged. Now, we're not told specifically in chapter 22 why Josiah goes and repairs the temple, but we've already seen his heart, right? He, he probably wants to restore worship to this central sanctuary. And so what Josiah does is he sends his secretary, a guy named Shaphan, to meet the high priest, a guy named Hilkiah, to oversee repairs, rebuilding of the temple. 
And little does Josiah know that this, this, this is going to lead to an encounter that's going to set his heart ablaze for God. And so we read this, 2 Kings 22.8. It says, And Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. Then Shaphan said to the secretary of the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read it before the king. Now, 55 years of terror, destroyed temple, it's in ruins. Josiah commissions all these people to go in and rebuild it, and as they're unearthing the temple, they're taking away the rubble, they find the Bible, essentially. The book of the law that's read here most likely refers to what we know as Deuteronomy. And in Israel's history, the people, what they would usually do is they'd gather together and they would hear God's word read in the temple. And again, during the reign of Manasseh, that was all dismissed. It was forgotten. And so I want you to notice here what the author is doing. He's slowly, scene by scene, showing us this pathway to revival because, again, first it happens in Josiah's heart, next He repairs the temple, and then the long-lost word of God emerges from the ruins of the temple, and Shaphan brings it to the king, and look at how Josiah reacts to the reading of God's word. It says this, verse 11, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Now, when was the last time you tore your clothes when you read the Bible? Let me draw out the significance of this phrase. Tearing clothes in ancient Near Eastern society is equivalent to people wearing black when they go to a funeral, or a woman wearing a veil when her husband dies, or the flag flying at half-staff. It's a symbol of mourning. And this is the reaction that Josiah has when he reads the Word of God. And you say, well, why in the world would he have a, a, a reaction of mourning? Why? Maybe he's reading Deuteronomy 27 and 28, which speaks of God's wrath against the nation's disobedience. Again, remember, Josiah was raised in a nation for 57 years. His grandfather and his father releasing terror and opposition against God. And even though God was doing something in Josiah's heart, he was ignorant to the commands of the Lord. And so he hears this and he is thrown into despair and grief. He weeps. And so I'd pause and ask us, church, when was the last time we had that kind of reaction when we read Scripture? How many of us have read the Word of God and just wept because it revealed that we are a a rebellious people in need of salvation, in need of grace? Because if we want our hearts to be rekindled, if we want to be a five in a million kind of people, we need to be moved by the mercy and the grace of God like Josiah and so the king wants to learn more, so he, he, he organizes a task force. He gets a bunch of people together of his most trusted servants, and he sends them to find a prophet to interpret what he's read in the book of the law. Look at what it says in 2 Kings twenty two twelve. It says, he says to the task force, go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all of Judah, concern, excuse me, concerning the words of this book that has been found, for great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against me because of our father because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. In other words, we haven't followed the law. And Josiah wants to know how to make 
right all the wrongs of his forefathers. So this, ta- this task force goes to and finds a prophetess named Huldah. Now, important to note, they inquire help from a woman. Okay, now there's other prominent prophets at this time. There's Jeremiah, there's Hosea, but they go to the prophetess, Huldah. And it's a reminder to us that we need the, the, the voices of good, godly women in our lives, right? And what does Huldah say? She prophesies the destruction of Jerusalem and Babylon's victory, and she has a favorable word for Josiah because of his humility. Which gets us to the application for this section, and that's this. The radical reformation of our hearts happens when we read the Word of God, when we read God's Word. And that's what the prophetess Huldah does. She interprets God's Word, and her words are like a laser beam right into Josiah's heart. The Word of God is a focused beam of light that shines into the recesses of our callous hearts. What does the writer of the Hebrews say? For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. What part of our hearts does the word of God need to expose to the light? So if you want to be a five in a million people, you need that light to shine on your heart and cut away the dead parts of your heart. Now, during our pregnancy with Josiah, we had to have ultrasounds every four weeks. And it was, it was difficult, I got to tell you, because each time we went in, it seemed like we always got bad news. And uh, there, was, there was only one ultrasound that we didn't cry when we left. And we wept because we were afraid of what the future would hold. In fact, maybe some of you can relate to that today. Not a pregnancy, but there might be some stuff going on and you're afraid of what the future holds And it was during that time that we needed to get down on our knees and pray and read God's word. We needed to hear the words from the Lord that would be light to us during our dark time. Words like Isaiah 12, 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Psalm 86, 6 and 7, give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, when we read God's word, when we pray God's word, the radical reformation of our hearts begins. Have you read God's word lately? Have you gotten in the closet and prayed and cried out to God? This is the pathway to revival. So when Josiah reads God's word, he mourns, he tears his clothes, he, he seeks a prophetic word, and what happens is, is it ignites this fire in his heart to see the church and society reformed. And that brings us to the second stop on the pathway to revival. The church has to be revived, right? Personally, ecclesiologically, now we're at the church. So let me remind us of the flashlight, right? The pathway to reformation begins with that laser beam shining right in our hearts, 
But then the beam starts to get wider, like this flashlight. That's why it's so instructive. It starts to come and it starts to envelop even more than just my heart. It starts to envelop the church. Will our church step into the light is the question. Look at what Josiah does next. Now we're in chapter 23 of 2 Kings. The, the king sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. So again, Josiah has this transformational experience with God's word. What does he do? What's the first thing he does? He calls a prayer meeting, right? He gets all the elders together and he says, I want all the people of God to meet me down at the church like right now because we're going to repent of our wicked ways and we're going to call out to God for the first time in ages. Verse 3, it says, And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the law that had been found in the house of the Lord. Book of the covenant, sorry. Same thing. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant. Now, let me ask you, when was the last time you came to church and just heard God's word read? Right now, I know, I know, right? We, we're, we're conditioned to think the church, is a, 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 the church service is something we consume, right? Who's got the best worship music? Who's got the best preaching, the best lights, right? The best kids programming, the most comfortable seats. Well, what does it say in verse 2? It says, it says all the people, small and great, which means all the old people, all the young, all the little kids come together, and what do they do? They simply hear God's word read. Now, would we be satisfied if we just came to church and all we did was open up the Bible and just read it and we went home? Maybe we think the word of God is not enough. I don't know. But I do know I'm convicted by this. Could I be like Josiah, where I hear God's word read and I just fall on my face weeping because I see the sin in my own heart and I want to worship the great and holy God? See, I think, I, think, I think that's what it takes for a radical reformation in our churches. What does Josiah do? Verse 3, and the king stood by the pillar, call the action here, and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. He says, I'm not just going to hear God's word. I'm going to make a covenant. I'm going to renew a covenant. Now, this scene here is one of covenant renewal, right? And it resembles what Solomon did when he dedicated the temple itself. Now, let me put it in layman's terms this is a picture of a good comparison would be a wedding ceremony, right? And some of you who are married can still remember your wedding day, I hope. I remember the day that I was married. Amanda was, vividly I remember, Amanda was walking down the aisle and she was beautiful. And then we stood before our family and our friends and our God and we made a covenant. I will love you. We said things like, I will love you in sickness and in health, in good times and bad times. And we weren't even thinking about 2020 at the time, but yeah. <clears throat> in plenty or in want, in, in the times that we're mad and selfish, in the times we feel on top of the Lord, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will always love you. And over the course of six and a half years, for us, and for I know for many of you much longer, the passion of the wedding day wanes, right? And it needs to be, needs to be renewed. 
And that's what happened to the people of Israel. That they make this covenant, they're on fire for the Lord, and then that passion wanes and it needs to be renewed. And the last time this covenant renewal thing happened was during the time of Joshua, before the era of the kings, and so it's long overdue. Josiah promises to undo what the previous kings had done and keep the covenant. Well, how do the people respond? Second half of verse 3, and all the people joined in the covenant. And I love this scene because (laughs) this is what we need today. That if we're going to see revival in our land, we need the laser focus of God's word to pierce our hearts And then we need the church to gather together and renew their covenant to God, which gets us to that second key application point. Revival comes when the church hears God's word and responds. The prophet Amos famously declared, there is a famine in the land for the word of God, Amos 8.11. The hearts of God's people are not being radically reformed because we're too focused many times on secondary issues. And so we come to church and we ask Questions like, well, how do I manage my money well? How do I improve my marriage? How do I stay less angry? How do I raise well-mannered children? And listen, those are good questions, worthy of pursuits, and the scriptures do have answers for those, but my point is that (laughs) we need to focus and get God's word deep down in our hearts and allow it to radically reform us at the heart level, and then those things take care of themselves. What does that look like? It looks like cultivating a love for God's word with your family as you read it together at the dinner table and before bed and talk about it. That was the model that God gave to Israel in Deuteronomy 6. Or maybe it's like gathering together with God's people on a Sunday morning, hearing God's word read and proclaimed, and then talking about it as a family or in a small group. Additionally, our church is really committed to having other people hear God's word by supporting missionaries like Uh, Gerald and Elise Harkins, who work tirelessly in Senegal, you heard about Senegal before, translating God's word for the Wolof people of Senegal so they can read and understand God's word. And they do this because they believe that hearing God's word will change the trajectory of a people group who are far from God. See, when we hear and feast on God's word, it changes lives. And King Josiah knew this, and he led the people of God to a restored worship of the one true God. Now, after our son Josiah was born, things were a bit dicey for a little while there, right, for the first day or two. Uh, Due to some complications, we actually weren't sure he was going to make it. But the people of God mobilized, right? Our church family, many of you gathered to pray for our son, even outside the parking lot in the hospital. And as you prayed the truths of God's word over his life, in less than 24 hours, he was back on the path to life, like night and day. And we fully believe God saved him and ordained him for a purpose, to worship and serve our great God. Maybe even to bring revival. Because revival comes when the church hears God's word and responds. The radical reformation begins in our hearts and then it spreads to the church. And when the church acts like the church, then society will be reformed. That's the final section. Society will be reformed. Now, if we come back to that flashlight image for one more time, again, I love this flashlight, laser-focused on our hearts, it moves out to the church, but then 
As the church starts to act like the church, the beam gets wider, the light gets brighter, and it goes around and around and around and bigger, and it starts to encompass society, our neighbors, our local communities. See, there's a reason Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Now, that's a really famous verse, and did you notice that at the heart of that verse is worship? Because don't you realize the problem in our world, ultimately, is that too many people are worshiping something other than Jesus. The the disorder in our world is a result of the disordered loves in our hearts. And so the mission of the church is to point people to the true God they should worship. When people's hearts are made alive, awakened, and then they're reformed in the image of Jesus Christ. That's the pathway to revival and reformation. So look now at what Josiah does, right? Heart was changed, came to the church, now he takes some action. 2 Kings 23, 4, it says, And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the threshold to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels made for Baal and Asherah and for all the host of heaven. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. Now, if you read 2 Kings 23, there's a lot of technical language around what Josiah does. He he does like 12 different reforms that are really significant. I don't have time to go into all of them. The main point is this. Josiah rolls back and undoes all the idolatry and all the evil things that his predecessors do. And it's significant. It's really significant really significant. There's a total societal reformation. There's, there's a reorientation of worship. And I want to point out that all this happened because of the influence that Scripture had in Josiah's life. So first, I'll put three broad categories. First, as we see in verse 4, Josiah begins to systematically undo all the evil that his grandfather, remember crazy grandfather Manasseh, did. So he removes all these non-Yahwehistic worship sites in the land of Judah. He brings out these cultic vessels, which were objects associated with the worship of false gods, and he burns them in in the Kidron Valley, which was significant because that was connected to idolatry all the way back to the time of Solomon. And Bethel was where Jeroboam, remember the first king of the northern kingdom, began his cult. And so again, this action is a powerful symbol of Josiah cutting off the spiritual ties with these false gods. And then if you just keep reading verse 5, it talks about how Josiah casts out the priests that serve these false gods. He essentially looks at them and says, you're fired, get out of here. In fact, Josiah creates this, this extensive list of reforms that I mentioned. He removes the places of prostitution that had been associated with sexual sin. He destroys the high places of false worship, one of the only kings to do that. Josiah was determined to bring real reform. He he destroys the places where child sacrifice had happened in verse 10. And on and on and on it goes. Josiah, because of his devotion to the Lord, says, Enough! With false worship, I will not let it stand. He's rolling back all those evil policies of his grandfather. Second bucket. Second, Josiah ends Solomon's sin by destroying the first places of foreign worship. Remember, Solomon was the first one to let this in. Verse 13, it says this, And the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem to the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had built 
for, and these are the false gods, Ashtoreth, the abomination of the foreign Sidonians, for the, and for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. That's just amazing. Listen, we've been looking at these books for two months, okay? And each week, each week, all these kings of Israel and Judah come in week after week. They fail to worship the true God. They worship these foreign gods. Each week we're coming in and saying, man, is Israel going to get it right ever? And here at the end, King Josiah is undoing all the evil that happened over the last few books. Monotheism is now the philosophy again. He destroys all these false places of worship. And then finally, thirdly, third bucket, he reunites the kingdom. Because once he's done in Judah, we read that Josiah makes his way north to Samaria and destroys all the places of false worship there too. Look at verse 15. It says, Moreover, the altar of Bethel, the high place erected by Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, that altar with the high priest, he pulled down and reduced it to dust. Just smashed it. Josiah ends the evil Manasseh did, he ends the evil Solomon did, and he ends the evil Jeroboam did. Rolls it all back. King Josiah is the closer. He brings it all to an end and he says, Israel will again worship the true king and then for the first time ever in the time of the kings, Josiah reinstates the Passover. Chapter 23, verse 21, and the king commanded all the people, keep the Passover to the Lord your God as it's written in the book of the covenant, for no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel or during all the days of the kings of Israel or of the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of Josiah, this Passover was kept for the Lord in Jerusalem. Now, that is a breathtaking statement <laughs> because the Passover is the reminder of how God had saved Israel from slavery in Egypt, set them free, and none of the kings, not even David, ever observed, ever. Josiah was one of the greatest kings in the history of Israel, and this is his legacy in verse 25. Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Do you see why we chose to name our son Josiah? Because he lived as a true king of Israel should. He followed God's word he loved the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, with all his strength. With everything that he was, he followed the Lord. And the world was never the same. One final piece of application. Revival comes when we proclaim God's word. When we proclaim God's word. In, in, in other words, Josiah brought light <laughs> into the darkness. He shined that flashlight bright and it encompassed so many people. He was a five in a million follower of the true God, and you see what happened, right? Now you ask, can it happen again? Well, despite all Josiah's reforms, the nation of Judah still falls. Babylon still takes them into captivity. That's part of the story. But that shouldn't change our motivation because our call as followers of Jesus is to be the best we can in the worst of times. And some of you are saying, well, our culture is in a dark place right now. It feels like the worst of times, right? 
Many of us might be tempted to lose hope. But God can still shape us during dark times. Remember, light is coming in the future. I mean, Christmas is around the corner. The Savior is coming, and He's going to come again. What does it look like for us to proclaim God's Word today, to be light in the darkness? Let me just give you a couple examples as we, as we finish up here. First, I would say we need to confront false worldviews, right? And there's many out there, but just two that are prominent right now are viewing science and politics as religions. Now, that's not to say that science and politics are not important, but they are not ultimate. Jesus deserves our true, ultimate allegiance. Second, we need to speak out against societal injustice, right? I think if King Josiah ruled today, he would speak out against evils like abortion or racial discrimination or poverty or sex trafficking or the evils of pornography. In fact, I pray that my son would be a voice against those evils, And then finally, we speak out even when it's hard, even when it's hard. And we live in a world of so-called cancel culture, which is the current popular practice of withdrawing support from someone if they do or say something offensive. And if King Josiah had a Twitter account or a Facebook today, he probably would be canceled for some things he stood for. But his love of the Lord would propel him to stand firm in the face of persecution and suffering. His heart had been reformed, and I pray that ours would be as well. May we be a five in a million type of follower of Jesus Christ as we bring light into the darkness. May the gospel of Jesus Christ ring loudly from our lips, and may the love of Christ envelop our neighbors for the glory of God. But church, I would remind you that it all begins when the word of God, the light of the word of God, pierces our hearts shines deeply down inside of us. That's when the radical reformation begins. Now, during the reign of King Josiah, there were a number of prophets that arose. One of the most famous prophets during Josiah's reign was a guy named Jeremiah. And he speaks boldly to the people of God, knowing that they would eventually go into exile. And even though Josiah renewed the covenant, the people of Israel and us are very forgetful. And so Josiah speaks to the people about a new covenant. He writes this in his book. It says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. What's he saying? He's saying the radical reformation happens inside us. And when every part of us is dedicated to our great God, when God's law is inside us, it will impact every part of us and by extension every part of the church and society. And hundreds of years later, Jesus Christ was having dinner with his disciples. And he also spoke of a new covenant, a covenant that was made in his blood, a covenant that would change the world forever. And then he says, I will send my Holy Spirit to live inside of you, to help reform you, to seal you for this new covenant. Just as God captured King Josiah's heart, he wants to capture each and every one of our hearts with the piercing brightness of his light. He wants to reform our hearts so that his light can shine brightly 
within us. In other words, he wants us to be a five in a million kind of people. The birth of our son has changed our lives and God is using him to change our hearts so that we would shine brighter, so that we would trust him more, so that we would love deeper. And my prayer for all of us is that our hearts would be rekindled, that the church would be revived, and ultimately that society would be reformed for the glory of God and the sake of his gospel. Let's pray. Worship team, would you come up? They have one final song for us to sing in response. Gracious God, we come before you and we thank you for your word, Lord. I'm struck by the story about how Josiah finds the word of God after it was forgotten for so many years, Lord God. And help us, Lord, to rediscover your word. Help your word to be a laser beam of light that shines into our hearts, that cuts away the dross, as Malachi writes about, Lord God, that we would feast on it, that there would no longer be a famine in the land for the word of God, as Amos says, Lord, but that the truth of your word, that the bright, glorious light of the gospel would go out and that people would know that there is only one God worthy of worship and he wants our hearts. He wants to reform us. May we worship him today. May we be your light on a hill. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.